I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous full-time champs! For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-pack radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 gambling advice, and the home of the college football advanced statistical model that is beta rank thank you for joining us this is brian conger you can follow the podcast on for free on any podcast catcher google play apple podcast TuneIn radio spotify you name it we are there you can also follow us on twitter at 12 pack radio if you like this show this show in particular then go ahead and share it with your friends. Uh, we have doubled our listenership in the last uh, couple months and would love to keep that going into basketball season because I love college basketball and we will definitely talk about that too. I am joined as always by the uh, by the, the guru of the wager, Mr. Max Meyer from Sports Illustrated. What's going on, Max? Uh, could be better. Regression has hit. <laughs> and I knew I wasn't going to be over, well, at least with the Sports Illustrated picks and the Pac-12 picks, I didn't think I was going to be over 60% on the season, but it's it still hurts every single time you have a bad week. You were flying real close to that sun, though, Max. I mean, anytime you're above 60%, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty hard to sustain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I learned something like just... I, I guess I should step in front of the Utah and Oregon trains as they make their push for the college football playoff. But I think I might be making that mistake again this week. We'll see. But Rob, I'm looking out in the distance and there is there is a sparkling beacon of freedom. I, I can't can't quite quite make out what it is. Do you, do you see that? Do you know what that is? Oh, it's the Vivid Seat Studio. You're right. It is the Vivid Seat Studio where we are recording clothing optional. Thank you for uh, Vivid Seats for sponsoring the podcast. By the way, uh, next Saturday is a can't miss game. There's a lot of can't miss games that we're going to talk about coming up uh, in town. All over the Pac-12, if you haven't purchased tickets through the Vivid Seats app, definitely do that. Uh, Get yourself a discount. Uh, Download the Vivid Seats app, use the promo code OVERTIME, and save up to $100 on your next ticket purchase. If you're looking to uh, check out Washington or Oregon or Utah, the the teams that are winning, and maybe if you have a losing team, you know, like do whatever you want. But but if you if you want a good seat, <laughs> good tickets, uh, the Vivid Seats app, promo code overtime, and uh, sign up for their loyalty program. They automatically put you in there. Um, all you need to do is download the app, use the promo code overtime. So definitely do that. Where do we want to start today? Let, let's go with you, Max. We're uh, we're gonna do our big takes, big stakes, and hipster takes section where we talk about one big picture thing and kind of a hipster take from the Pac-12 that maybe some of our listeners weren't paying attention to. So what was your big stakes item for this past week, Max? Well, I mean, big stakes is that Pac-12 couldn't have asked for a better week in terms of college football playoff hopes. Um, Oregon and Utah both dominated and they passed the eye test. And now they are each two wins away from finishing 11 and one. And Alabama 
unfortunately, the Tua Tagovailoa injury, I mean, I feel really bad for him uh, that just uh, hearing the reports that he was screaming in agony. But uh, apparently uh, he underwent surgery today. He's expected to make a full recovery. I really, really hope that this injury doesn't dampen his uh, professional football chances. But this now means, I I mean, I think you'd have to assume that Alabama is not going to make the college football playoff regardless. I didn't think that they were going to make it anyway, but I feel like the shot that they had was the committee arguing that they're still one of the four best teams with Tua if they just had one close loss to LSU, even though, I mean, Alabama probably should have lost that game by double digits, to be honest. But now they're on their backup quarterback. They don't really have... Uh, any impressive wins like even if they beat Auburn in the final week of the season it's an Auburn team with four wins and Alabama fans are gonna be like well we beat Auburn and Oregon didn't like how are we gonna be left out it's it's definitely an interesting argument to be raised but I just think with Alabama their defense has been really inconsistent and if you're gonna make the college football playoff without a conference title you have to be certain that you're one of the four best teams in the country and I don't think that that's the case with Bama especially with Tua out. Oklahoma survives another close game even if the even if Oklahoma goes 12 and 1 and wins the Big 12 I just feel like they haven't been as dominant as Oregon and Utah have looked and now that Baylor lost I feel like the winner of the Big 12 uh, title game it's going to come against a team with a lower ranking than the Pac-12 title game, assuming that Oregon and Utah went out. So I think that the only way that a Pac-12 team is left out, um, and actually someone someone responded to me on Twitter with another possible scenario that I think also works. So I think the, the most obvious uh, scenario is Georgia beating LSU in the title game because I think LSU makes the playoff regardless with one loss, just because their resume is really impressive uh, they have the road win at Alabama. They have the neutral win, and I'm putting neutral in quotes because it was in Jacksonville uh, over Florida. Uh, they beat Auburn. They they have a, a it's not it doesn't look as good as it did, but they still won at Texas. That's a really strong resume. And if they lose to a top four team in Georgia in Atlanta, I still think LSU deserves to be in it. I think that they're clearly one of the four best teams. And so if Georgia beats LSU, I think both those SEC teams are in. Then the other one that I think is really interesting is if um, I, I think Ohio State, even if they lose one game, whether it's against Penn State this week or Michigan State uh, next week, or even if it's uh, the Minnesota Wisconsin loser in the or the uh, Minnesota Wisconsin winner uh, in the Big uh, Ten title game, I think Ohio State with one loss still gets in just because they'll have a couple top 25 wins under their belt. They have the uh, non-conference win over Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's 9-1 and one ranked, so that looks good. And eye test-wise, they look good too. So I think that LSU and Ohio State are fine. I think even though Clemson's looked really good just because their schedule has been such a joke, if they somehow lose, I, I don't think that they deserve to get in. But I think that Ohio State and LSU deserve to get in no matter what. And... Basically, the Pac-12 needs those two teams to finish undefeated, and then I think it has a really good shot at making the playoff. You can call Wisconsin and Minnesota losers all you want, Max. That's okay. It's all, you're safe on this podcast to do that. Uh, <laughs> no, Rob, do, are you tracking with that? Uh, that sounds like that sounds pretty solid. I know that Ohio State remains just historically high 
uh, in Beta Rank. Oh uh, no, they came they came back to Earth after their performance against Rutgers. What? Can't give uh, twenty one points to Rutgers. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, they and you could the injuries you know may end up being you know a factor in that they may just I mean it's like they're still a twenty point favorite in the model over Penn State. Um, but I I would say that the, one of the things that I would think about if I were the Pac-12, the most sort of dangerous scenario for the Pac-12, if you will, is that if if o- I mean, Oklahoma has played a, a, actually a fairly tough schedule um, in the metrics, uh, it is good for the Pac-12 that Baylor lost because Baylor, an undefeated Baylor, any undefeated Power 5 champ is, is going to get in. Um, so eliminating that is a positive but I think the danger for the Pac-12 is if, if Oregon wins and uh, and they get and Alabama just boat races Auburn with their backup quarterback. I don't think that opens the door for Alabama, but it could open the door for questions about Oregon. And that's so like the easiest, the it, despite all the all the talk of Utah's cream puff non-conference schedule. I think the easiest sort of like way that, to guarantee a Pac-12 team gets in is actually Utah winning. Because I, I do think that it, I do think that that there is going to be a lot of talk about that Oregon Auburn Alabama Auburn comparison um, if the Tide win uh, and particularly if they win big without Tua. So I, I mean that's that's sort of my my take on it. I think I th- like I think Max is right. Like I think Ohio State's probably in regardless. Um, Clemson. If they were to take a loss, I think people have so little respect for the ACC that any team that they would lose to, that would probably knock them out. Um, I mean, Oklahoma, like, don't estimate, like, Oklahoma is still a threat. They're still going to get um, likely another. They're going to have to go against Baylor again. Um, they're probably not going to have uh, as bad of a game as they had against Baylor uh, the first time around. It'll be on a neutral site. Um So it's, I mean, they're still possible. And then, I mean, you could maybe talk yourself, like, if, if, I mean, Max, like if Minnesota were to win, you know, any team that knocked off, if it was Minnesota or Georgia, like they're going to be in. Um, I don't think if it's Wisconsin and it still could be Wisconsin, I don't think Wisconsin would get in. Um, So if Wisconsin beats Minnesota and then they beat Ohio State, like Ohio State is still probably the only Big Ten team to go in. Going back to last year on this podcast, just one of the most depressing scenarios in the Pac-12 where we have two three loss teams and, you know, the the final score is like nine to two or whatever it was. And now you're looking at two really quality Pac-12 teams and then just a very entertaining slate of teams, whether it's Clemson or LSU or Ohio State. This is probably, Max, one of the one of the most exciting college playoff races that I've seen in a while. And I'm really excited for it. Do you see the same thing or is, have there been other times where you were really excited about the four teams that will likely get in? Well, I, I think that I assuming Clemson wins out, I think that three spots are, are locked up and it's really a battle of the fourth spot. And I'm, I mean, I, I feel like that we have had some drama over the fourth spot in the past, but I guess it's nice that the Pac-12 is finally back in contention for one of those spots. And actually, one other thing completely off topic, but I think I'm about to make history on this podcast. I am placing a Pac-12 bet right now on a basketball game. Oh, who who are you taking? (laughs) Who are you taking? I'm taking UC Irvine plus three and a half second half against Colorado, and they're down 10 at the half. Wow. Well, this podcast will go long. We'll just we'll have to figure out live what happens at the end of the, <laughs> the, end of the show. <laughs> hey, Rob, what, what's your big stakes uh, item here? My big stakes item is actually in this latest beta rank run. Utah's up to five. 
Um, and they're very good. Like I, w- I would say that uh, I think the big stakes here is that this showdown between uh, the Utes and Oregon, like it's it, this is great. Like they're they're both on the uptick coming in. Um, this should be a real fun game for the Pac-12 and Santa Clara. And I, I, I say that as late. I mean, as you were mentioning, it was sort of a sort of depressing last year. Two, three lost teams facing off for the Pac-12 title, um, you know, knowing that whoever whoever won was going to be an underdog in the Rose Bowl. Um, this is a this is a lot more fun like the, for that. And then. I mean, oh, only we're only doing big stakes. Uh, dude, yes, go, give me your hipster take. Well, you got a hipster take there. My hipster take is uh, I would say for this is for fans of both Arizona schools. Like the sky is not falling that you lost to Oregon State this year. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, because both schools have sort of been in a uh, in a bit of free fall in the second half of the season. Um, you know, Arizona State um, has been in quite a bit of free fall at the end, in the end of the season. And so is Arizona. Um, and I think the fan base is sort of look at it and say, like, oh, my gosh, we're, we're terrible. And we lost to Oregon State. Um, there's no shame in losing to Oregon State um, this season. And I think that for for both Arizona schools, you know, like they for, like it's easy to forget. I think that your your previous coach got fired for a reason, and you know that that usually means some sort of rebuild. So, I don't know. Be patient. Like things can get better. You got a hipster take, Max? Yeah, I don't know if it's hipster enough though, but I'm just I'm going to say it anyway. Jonathan Smith should be coach of the year in the Pac-12. Hmm. I voted Jonathan Smith coach of the year on my Football Writers of America ballot. Oh, look at you! <laughs> <laughs> I just. Or if Oregon State with five wins. Well, first off, Oregon State over two wins minus one ten might have been the easiest win total I've ever gotten. <laughs> that and Washington under ten wins. Um, but yeah, I mean Jonathan Smith, the job that he's done in year two, really, really impressive. And I, I mean, I, I, I just have to give him props with how with where the program was even a year ago. I mean, no one would have thought that that's the case. But now he has pretty high expectations for year three. But I, I just I, I got to give him props. I mean, he's been outstanding this season. And you could honestly make a case at, at record wise, eye test wise, that Oregon State, I would probably have them fifth in the Pac-12 power rankings right now. Nice. My my hipster take is the exact opposite. It's coaching questions, uh, particularly on the offensive and defensive coordinator size. You have people like Bo Baldwin, who is certainly on the hot seat. Bush Hamden at Washington in terms of moving that offense. Arizona's coaching staff is just a mess right now. Um, you know, is somebody going to who's going to take over that defensive coordinator spot? And it just seems like there's going to be hopefully a rush for quality coordinators to come in and take some of these teams around. Because, Rob, you had talked about this. We went to Eugene to watch the Arizona uh, Oregon game and you had talked about it being really difficult uh, to get one side of the ball down on lockdown. You want to expand a little bit on that here and, and how it focuses on the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, so this is this is a point I try to make to people often because people will say like, oh, we got to get rid of this head coach. And, you know, they you know, the team's only good at one thing. Being good at one, like really good at one thing is really hard in college football. <laughs> like having a top 10 offense or a top 20 offense is no small thing. Um, and I would say that like for, for fans that often want to turn on their, their coaches, like, 
you know, that's that's hard. But like, I mean, if I would say for I mean, we talked about like Northwestern's a great example. Michigan State's a good example. I mean, these are teams that have one side of the ball pretty well figured out. Right. I mean, somebody needs to take Pat Fitzgerald aside and say, hey, like you need to hire a new offensive coordinator um, because you clearly know how to coach defense, like hire somebody that can coach offense. Um, and th- but that may be true for Chris Peterson. I mean, with Jonathan Smith gone, uh, you know, I don't know that Bush Hamdan is going to get the job done in that case. You know, like you really like the, the University of Washington should go out and spend some spend some cash to get to get a coordinator. I mean, Utah did this this year. They spent some money to get Andy Ludwig um, over from Vanderbilt, uh, you know, because they figured they had more with Morgan Scaly and the defense figured out, you you know, like you can spend some money on the other side of the ball. I think for a team like Cal, where you feel good about what you have with Wilcox and DeRoyter, you know, they need to go out and spend some money to get a, an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, th- that's the that's the sort of smart play. I mean, it's the if you're watching if you're the Washington States of the world, right? Like Mike Leach is usually going to put up a pretty good offense. If he could give you if you could go out and spend some cash to get him a defensive coordinator, that could make a huge difference in how many wins you have across the season. For 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 staff costs that in some ways are fairly marginal. Now, I, the concern I would have if I'm a Pac-12 fan is. Does the Pac-12, because of the Pac-12 network payouts, have the money to compete? Um, and that I'm, I'm far less certain of. Does that make sense, Max? Would you point the finger more at you know Kevin Sumlin or you know Mike Lee just having a bad year this year? Uh, you know, down in Cal, obviously Will Cox hasn't been able to get the an offensive going. You know, obviously Chase Garber's got hurt again. But would you point the finger at the head coach, or do you think it's more of an offensive or defensive coordinator type of issue? Well, I just think that with the Pac-12's financial problems, that a lot of the best assistants are, are leaving to go to um, other Power 5 schools that can offer them more money. Like, I think that the prime example is probably Alex Grinch. Yeah. And he was killing it up in Washington State, and then he left for Ohio State, and now he's the defensive coordinator for Oklahoma. And I know the Oklahoma defense has slipped a bit since a really strong start to the season, but they just held Baylor to zero points in the second half in Waco. Um, I, I just think that a lot of these PAC 12 programs don't have the financial wherewithal to hire these top tier coordinators. And as a result, that's why some of these teams really suffer in in the coaching department. Okay. Well, let's move on from this. We got about 15 minutes in and we definitely need to go through all the games, uh, on the review side and then the preview side. So let's start, let's start with the USC Cal. Because holy Moses, that was a game that Max, you were on. I, I was certainly on that game. Um, there was a lot of things going for Cal on paper. This is the second air raid that they've they've focused on. They have a good pass defense. USC has been stumbling. Uh, their coaching staff isn't uh, up to par. And USC just came out and Keaton Slovis dropped a load on them. 29 for 35, 406 yards through the air, four touchdowns, zero picks. And when you take a look at the production on the ground, I mean, I just assumed that USC would start running it a little bit more because that was what appeared to be the weakness in Cal's defense. But no, they they just kept passing the ball and it worked. Yeah. And no, I mean, Slovis, fantastic game. He's really he's really been fantastic. And it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see what JT Daniels decides to do in the offseason because you kinda have to assume that Slovis is the front runner to be the starting quarterback next season at USC. And I mean, what can, what else can you say about Michael Pittman uh, just announced uh, for the, uh, the Blitnikoff award as a finalist. And you could honestly argue that he is having 
the best year for a USC re- receiver since Marquise Lee exploded. Um, and I'm sure you guys remember the apex of that year when he, uh, I think, had over, yeah, it was like 320 yards against Arizona, and USC still lost that game. Wasn't that wasn't that the year Lane Kiffin basically said only throw to this guy? <laughs> like nobody else got the nobody else got any pass catches. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just putting up forty one points and, and all that yardage on Cal, I was I was really impressed. And I have to, you know what, Clay Helton is gone. Uh, I mean, I'd be really shocked if he's retained, but I have to give him credit. USC did not implode down the stretch. Quite the opposite, actually. They, they've covered. Um, both games since the Oregon debacle. And, and last year, it looked like that the team really mailed it in at the end. And, and this year, it's been the total opposite. Yeah, I'm totally with you. A big, big bummer for Cal. Chase Garbers came back. That was the other thing was Garbers was likely going to start. That news broke and you had t- you had tweeted it out, Max, and I immediately went on my bookie and started <laughs> certain placing a few bets on that, uh, which did yeah, not work out. Monster, monster was dry. I mean, Garbers... He looked rusty and then, but at least Cal was like still in the game. And then he went out, uh, and, and was hurt. And then when monster took over, it just, it just seemed like all the air deflated out of the balloon and monster oh, 22 throws and, and only had 95 passing yards, two interceptions, just brutal. That's so bad. Um, yeah, you're right. They, and they look competitive. Cal did in the beginning of that game. I think it was 10 to 10. Um, early into the second quarter, and then just the wheels fell off. Rob, a- anything to say here on Cal USC? I mean, no, it's just it was slow as his performance really was amazing, um, and it is kind of. I mean, it is almost a little bit of a bummer. I think we've talked about this a little bit for Clay Helton. You know, last year, you know, the entire offense graduates. This year, the entire defense graduates. You know, those are both likely to be rebuilding years. Um, whoever is USC's coach next season is going to get to cash in on a lot of uh, Clay Helton's work too. Yeah, Drake London, by the way, freshman, six uh-huh. catches, 111 yards. Who would you want USC to hire as its head coach if you could pick any realistic candidate? Uh, Matt Rule. Ex- yeah. Oh, did you say Matt Rule? Yeah. That's that's my number one. <laughs> that's probably what you had too, right, Rob? Yeah, no, we, uh, we talked about this this weekend. I mean, I, th- I think Matt Rule would be an excellent hire. Um, no scandal attached to him. Um, terrific motivator and developer of talent. Um, and that 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 Baylor defense is for real. Um, they're number six in beta rank right now. And uh, Matt Rule, if you partner him with the talent that USC has available, um, I think that they could really do some things. So here's a name for you, Max. We think about Bobby Stoops pulling him back out from the XFL. Oh boy, <laughs> I yeah I, I I can't see it, but I don't know. Like like the more I've been reading, the more I really don't think that Urban is going to be hired by USC. I would I would be ve- I would be pretty surprised if they get Matt Rule though. I just I don't think that he's on their radar for some reason. Uh, I get who I would be kind of upset about is if Bone takes the easy way out and hires Luke Fickle, and I know that Cincinnati's nine and one. But um, they they appear kind of fraudulent, in my opinion. What do you think about that? They're, yeah, they're not as good as Memphis, and they're Memphis. Memphis should beat them um, in in their final game of the season, um, and then I think they'll face off again. And I would I would make Memphis a favorite in that AAC championship game too. But I do think the 
a fickle would be sort of an easy way out. I agree. I think the concern with fickle is he's a good defensive coach, but um, his offensive coordinator at Cincinnati, if you made that hire, you would have to say you need to, you need to hire a different offensive staff, which a lot of coaches won't necessarily go for. Um, I do think that, I do think that Meyer, there's a lot of like football fans that maybe, maybe didn't go to USC or didn't go to a college or also aren't in touch with where universities are these days. Um, I think Urban Meyer would be a home run with your casual USC football fan or diehard USC football fan. I think Urban Meyer would ignite immediate campus-wide protests. <laughs> um, and some people are not going to want that kind of headache because um, it may not hurt your donations to your athletic department, but it might hurt your donations to the university as a whole. Yeah, I just think I think with all the scandals surrounding or that USC has had to deal with, especially with their new president, Carol Folt, like she was hired to clean up the mess and then hiring someone like Urban with, I mean, just with how he dealt with Zach Smith at Ohio State, that would just send the completely wrong message. And I don't think that she's looking to do that. Um, yeah, I, I, just because USC as a, I mean, sure, the football team has been a mess under Clay Helton, but I think that signing a deal with the devil to temporarily improve your football team for a few years can really mess up a lot of the school's reputation and her reputation. So I don't think that that's a road that she's going to go down. Max, give me one more name on your radar. Hmm. One. I mean, Matt, I also really like Matt Campbell of Iowa state. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think he's another excellent head coach and Iowa state. They are so much better than their record. I think that they are the unluckiest team this season. I, they have, three losses of one or two points. That's, well, we, we've uh, we've made a decent amount on that one. I know Beta Rank's been on Iowa State a number of games, so, which I've appreciated. Beta Rank agrees. Beta Rank all the things thinks Iowa State is underrated casual by casual fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and then another one, and I doubt this would happen, I would love Kyle Whittingham. I think that, that, that that's a call USC should make. I He is an outstanding football coach. And I, leader of men, I, I think that he would be an incredible hire for USC. And they would get the recruits. I mean, one of the things he's been grinding in the JUCO ranks and um, just, you know, like Utah has increased its recruiting prowess since it's been in the Pac-12. But, I mean, just being at USC is a whole nother level. Heck, like Clay Helton got massive classes there. Jim Mora got massive classes in Los Angeles. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but hey, let, let's put a pin in this one and move on because I, I'm sure we'll be able to talk a lot about USC coaching in the future. Um, let's move on to Washington State, who uh, almost dropped a 50-burger on Stanford's defense. Washington State 49, Stanford 22. Uh, Anthony Gordon had another great game, 44-60, 520 yards to the ground, uh, on, in the air. And then Max Borgie had more than 100 yards on the ground. They were just able to move the ball everywhere, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. They moved the ball with uh, with ease against the Stanford defense. Um, and I think that that in itself was uh, more than enough to, I think, win them the game, given how Stanford sort of ended up uh, playing. But Stanford, I mean, the in the stats, like in the box score, and I encourage you whenever you whenever don't just look at final scores, read box scores. <laughs> um, I think what's interesting in there is that um, Stanford really was able to they weren't able to run the ball at all against Washington State. But holy moly, did they throw the football 
against them. And they, uh, you know, Mills had himself a game throwing for 500 yards, um, you know, 10, 10.1 per attempt. Um, the one real knock you'd have is the two interceptions. Um, and they were sort of, they were inefficient, uh, in their, you know, in, in finishing off their drives, but, um, that, that's what really killed them in the game. I mean, Washington state was able to bend, but not break and come up with two turnovers and, and they did not slow down on offense at all. Well, you're right. They weren't able to move the ball, but they didn't try. Ten carries the entire game, Max. It almost seemed like David Shaw looked at everybody and said, you know what? You want me to throw the ball? Fine. I'll freaking throw the ball. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm he, not going to do anything on the ground. Cameron Scarlett had four carries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Davis Mills threw for over 10 yards an attempt. I would throw it every time, too. No, but like what Rob was saying, I mean, Stanford averaged 8.5 yards per play and Washington State averaged 7.6 yards per play. So the reason why it was a 27-point game, I think a lot of it uh, third down. So Stanford, 4 of 11 on third down, 36%. Washington State, 9 of 13 on third down, 69%. And Washington State's ability to extend drives and get into the red zone, that that's what did it. But do, did – was Stanford the wrong side betting wise? Yes. And I, and we, 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 pit, we, we, I think we all picked Stanford last week and I, we I took, wait, 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 I, I took Wazoo. I took Wazoo. Come on. Oh, oh, my bad. Oh, apologies about that. <laughs> um, but that was before Costello and Paulson and Eva were announced out. And actually, even if they were both healthy, I, I think Washington state still would have covered, but do I think that Washington state should have won by 27? No. And definitely an, uh, a storyline that I, I wish that I would have uh, brought up earlier and, and used that to sway my reasoning is that Mike Leach has owned David Shaw the past few seasons, absolutely owned him. And this was another case up in Pullman. Very on. One other thing to mention, too, that I thought was was interesting was the um, – really stepping on the pedal at the end of that game. So one of the things that was really um, exciting was 24 points in the last 18 minutes by Washington State's offense. So yeah, that game was close, and then they kind of blew the lid off of the game, and, and that was pretty pretty fun to see. So um, any, any other – anything else in that game, Rob? No. No, though, I mean, uh, it was odd because in some ways Washington State has has been the unluckiest team in the country. Um there, there are three games that Baderang thinks they should have won with sort of the post-game win expectancy, but they, they finally really put one together <laughs> and had all the luck on their side. Okay. Well, let's move on to a couple other games here. But before we do, we're going to talk a lot about gambling on this podcast. And there's no better time than November with my bookie. There's great, one of the great sports months of the year. We have uh, some really interesting lines coming up. And if you haven't gotten on the action, now is the time. If the guy that likes to bet a little bit to win a lot, try one of those sleazy parleys. You know, take a couple teams, bundle them together and score big. Um, of course, they have props, futures, in-game betting, you name it. Um, it's a book that I use. It's a book that I trust. Um, and that is legit. It's funny when you hear people do these ad reads like, I use this book. And like, you clearly don't. I, I actually do use this book. I like my bookie a lot. Um, NFL lines, NBA lines, NHL lines, NCAA hoops. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 of free money to play with. Just use the promo code OVERTIME to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. Take advantage of my bookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit mybookie.ag.com. You play, you win, and you get paid. And... um we should have gotten paid, Rob, for going down to going up to Eugene to watch Arizona get its head handed to it. 
<laughs> oh, we should have. Uh, 34, Oregon. Arizona, 6. Um, even even if Oregon only scored on their second play of the game, they still would have beaten Arizona. <laughs> the Arizona did not score a touchdown uh, the entire game. This was brutal, Rob. It was. I mean, the Arizona really could not put it together. They had uh, just a bevy of offensive line injuries, um, including they they uh, the, the freshman that they started at left tackle also got hurt at halftime <laughs> and didn't play at the second half. Uh, so uh, Gunnell and, and Tate uh, really struggled to to find time to throw. Um, you know, JJ Taylor, uh, you know, had a hard time finding you know many holes. Uh, and even when Arizona did uh, move the ball, you know, they were only able to put up field goals, and that was certainly not enough to keep up with Oregon. Uh, Oregon, to their uh, credit, I guess you could say, did not try to extend the game and really run it up more than they could have. Um, so they they ended up, I mean, lapping Arizona. I mean, by double the amount of yards. But uh, if if Oregon had been hurrying it up at all during the game, it could have been a lot worse. Justin Herbert, 20 for 28, 333 yards, 11 yards, uh, almost 12 yards per uh, per reception, four touchdowns and an interception. Max, can we finally put to rest any any of this criticism of Herbert? And I still hear it in the Pac-12. Oh, yeah, yeah, Justin Herbert, whatever, whatever. Like, he's not a first-round quarterback. Like, I don't care. He's a really quality quarterback playing for one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I mean, Herbert definitely has the skill set and the physical tools to be an NFL quarterback. I think it's just – I think people just have questions about his mental makeup. And I don't know, I'm just really excited to see what he does against Utah in, in at, at Levi's. I, I think that, that if uh, if he has a strong performance there, that would definitely help elevate his profile. Um, and, but, yeah, I mean, he's – I guess the Auburn game – he struggled just because so many of his receivers were injured and out. And now that he has basically his full arsenal, he's looked really good in, in, in a lot of these games recently. Jawan Johnson has 100% filled in for that tight end spot. Um, obviously, he's not a tight end, but like that big target, he's been able to, to fill in. I think was it uh, who, who's the, the guy that got injured from Oregon? Jacob Jacob Breland. Yeah, I like I love that guy too. That guy's great. Um, yeah, right. Jawan Johnson stepping up. Johnny Johnson, uh, ever uh, he had four catches for 89 yards. Uh Jawan Johnson, five catches for 93, both had a touchdown. And then everybody and their mother caught a pass in this game for <laughs> for the offense in Oregon. Um, and like you mentioned, Rob, the defense was just able to manhandle Arizona's injured and depleted offensive line. Six sacks, nine tackles for a loss, and Kayvon Thibodeau was all over the place. Yeah, it was it was not pretty. Uh, we, you know, I think Gunnell, you could say Gunnell definitely has had a bit of happy feet in the pocket uh, the past couple games. Um, our friend Hippolyte had pointed that out, um, but he definitely had happy feet in this game, and it was it's not unwarranted. Arizona's offensive line has not been great. Yeah, it was it was a real tough game for the Arizona offense. I will say I thought the Arizona defense had some decent moments and they competed. Um, but one of the sneaky killers in this game for for Arizona was the uh, their freshman punter averaged 32 yards a punt. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, it, was, it was the worst punting experience. Like it was the worst display of punting I have ever seen in person. <laughs> Was that now I should mention we uh, shout out to Adam Chimeo and our friend Hithliday, who does exist, by the way, from Quack 12 podcast. Um, and uh, the, and Adam took us to Barry's, this awesome deli called Barry's in Eugene. I highly recommend it. Uh, it. It was amazing. That was your first trip to Eugene, right, Rob? Yeah, it was. It was great. 
What you think? The stadium is awesome. Yeah. If you've never been there before, it kind of uh, it reminds me of the Teddy Roosevelt Memorial in Washington D.C., where you kind of have to like hike this trail, and they do that on purpose to kind of get you into the in the mood of the national parks and all that stuff. But you you walk across this bridge, and then um, like right, the, the, you kind of walk it up a little bit of an incline, and all of a sudden, Otzen like kind of just comes up out of the ground and it's this beautiful stadium. It's right in the middle of the pathway. It's, it's really one of the more scenic um, approaches to a stadium outside, maybe the Rose bowl. Um, and I would, and I'm not that big fan of a, of the Rose bowl. I really like Otson a lot, but uh, Max, I want to, I want to get an outsider's view of this here because Grant Gannell started this game and he was fine. 10 of 14, 82 yards. Um, and in the beginning he was, he was able to move the ball, but the offense uh, petered out, and obviously there was offensive line issues. But Rob and I were just perplexed as to why Khalil Tate played at all in this game. Um, do you think there should be any more Khalil Tate for the rest of the year? Well, this upcoming weekend, it's is it is it Arizona's final home game? Yeah, so yeah. it's it's, it's going to be Senior Day, and and I mean, I feel like you kind of have to start him then. Yeah. <laughs> like and maybe he'll run a little bit, which will be which would be good. But uh, I was just surprised that they put in Tate. He didn't do really that much better. I, I thought that he played okay, but I, Rob, like I didn't think Gannell did anything that was. Maybe they were just trying to protect him. What, why? Why did you think they ended up sliding Tate in there? I think they pulled him because Gannell was getting happy feet and Oregon was getting pressure. Um, now Tate in that second quarter, he did manage to. He was as crisp as I have seen Khalil Tate in months um get the he got the ball out quickly made quick decisions he was able to use his rushing ability a little bit and i think that's why they really put him in but all of that all of that went away in the in the second half and that third quarter that he played was one of the worst khalil tate third quarters but max is right i mean as much as it's going to infuriate the Arizona fans that are still paying attention, um tate's probably going to play a considerable amount against utah because it's it's senior night Two bright spots for Arizona. J.J. Taylor had 74 yards rushing and 55 yards through the air. He just continues he to be hard. Yeah, he's like one of the bright spots on that team, one of the few of them. And Arizona's defense got a little bit uh, to Herbert. They had three sacks, seven tackles for a loss. I thought, um, it, you know, like 34 points. Yeah, that's a lot. But that, that's actually not bad for Arizona's defense. I thought they played better than I would have expected. I just thought that Arizona would put up a few more points in that game. Um, anything else, Rob? No, no. I mean, I think if you're an Arizona fan, I, and I think people are very frustrated, I, it's just everybody seems to blow by all the offensive line injuries on their way to like yelling at everyone else. And I would just say, like, chill a little. Like, the offensive line has basically everyone out. So <laughs> it's the offense is not like it doesn't like the play calls don't matter when you can't block. Two more items here. Uh, Micah Pittman was injured and it's going to be out for a few months, which is really a bummer to see a uh, promising young wide receiver for Oregon. So hope he gets well quickly. And then there was, <laughs> there was this inexplicable moment for Arizona where they had 12 minutes. This is after a timeout. They ran out 12 men on the field. And then uh, I think they got called for, for a penalty or they ended up running people back and then ended up with 10 men on the field and Oregon still was they able did. to move the ball. It's just so, so stupid. There, there's been some major issues on that coaching end. Um, and my understanding was there was a scuffle among the coaches on the sideline. So, um, I mean, I'm curious to see how much the wheels come off even more against Utah. We will find out next week. But oh, let's say, yo, go ahead. I have one more hipster take from this game. Go for it. Khalil Tate probably wishes that Arizona hired Ken uh, Nuamatololo oh. to run the triple option. 
I I hated that that idea, but it probably was the the right thing to do. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Uh, I I st- I still think it's I still think it is it is it will work with if you're taking over a team that has power five talent, it will work for a couple of years. Um, and then I think, I think you will struggle to maintain that roster. I, I, uh, with power five talent level. I, I think you even, as Georgia tech found out, it's hard to recruit even defensive players because there's just, there's no glamor associated with your school at that point. Yeah, that's fair. Um, plus I hate watching the triple option. I mean, it's fun with Tate, but like, I don't think you're going to get somebody like, anyway. um, Let's let's talk about happy things. Uh, Oregon State thirty five, Arizona thirty four, and I'm not I'm not saying this is happy because yeah, one team or the other uh, won or lost. I just this was a fun game. It was a shootout. Um, it went back and forth. Both teams were in this game. Uh, no defense was played sometimes, and the defense would clamp down. And uh, Max, we'll throw it to you. You, know, you we, I didn't want you to have to talk about Arizona, Oregon. You, you get the good game here. <laughs> what did you think? Well, first off, why did the total go down? I think it, it it was like at 59 and then it went down to 57 and, and I, I didn't know why just because these two defenses have been awful. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Sometimes those lines move and you like it, it's like touching that hot stove or if you've been burned because like an obvious line move, you're like, well, that's stupid. And then you take it and then you lose. Um, but that didn't matter in this game. Both teams were able yeah. to score. If you saw the stats for Joey yelling last weekend to USC, you think, oh, he had a really good game. But he he missed some easy throws, and I just Jaden Daniels is a clear upgrade. Brandon Ayuk, he's an NFL player, and he just makes big plays, whether it's on special teams or at wide receiver. And it's kind of a bummer that Eno Benjamin hasn't had the season that we thought he would. But a lot of it's the offensive line as well. It is Brandon Ayuk. 10 for 173 and a touchdown. I mean, look, he just keeps you right. And a lot of those are just big, explosive plays. And you just look at him and go, man, that guy is awesome. Uh, like you mentioned, Max, Eno Benjamin, 15 for 70 wasn't terrible, but you're right. I mean, I was used to the every game he'd have like 20, 25 carries and like 115 and two touchdowns. And just, just not the case anymore. On Oregon State side, Jake Luton had another great game, 26 for 35, 288 yards and four touchdowns. I, Isaiah Hodgins, another touchdown, almost 100 yards. And uh, they were able to get some stuff on the ground. Jamar Jefferson, uh, well, I mean, they got some yards, but they didn't get the yards per play. Jamar Jefferson, 2.3 yards per carry. Artavius Pierce, 3.9 yards per carry. Um, 129 on the ground for Oregon State. But Rob, they were still able to pull off the win. They were, and, and they were able to, to get enough going uh, through the air. Um, and Luton had a great game. Um, you know, he averaged 8.2 per uh, attempt, four touchdowns. Uh, you know, didn't turn the ball over at all. That's a, that's a very good game. Uh, for him and they they were going to have more available against this ASU um, defense through the air and they they definitely went with that even though I think both teams I mean Herm Herm does slow it down I mean like so you're going to have like the yards the yards you're going to be depressed um, in in any game against Arizona State because they don't they tend not to hurry it up but I mean it's it's tough I mean we we sort of felt like this or at least I sort of felt like this Arizona State team was sort of in free fall after that Utah game um, and it, it really sort of continued and they're, they're going to have to, at this point, it looks like they're going to have to beat Arizona for bowl eligibility, which was not something I, I guess I would have expected after they beat Washington state and Cal. 
The one thing to say about Herm and that coaching staff was there was a number of moments in this game. And Robbie, you and I were watching this at the, at a bar in Eugene. And I just thought there was times where Oregon State was going to pull away. They'd score a touchdown. They'd move yeah, the ball. And then, too, yeah. yeah, and ASU just kept, kept fighting back. And, and that, that, that says something for the team and something for the coaching staff. So it was nice to be able to see, um, a really competitive game and probably the, the funnest game, uh, that happened. Unless you're a Utah fan. <laughs> 49 the Utes beat the crap out of UCLA 49 to 3 this game started uh started competitive and then there was this crazy play where yet again you know stop me if you've heard this before Dorian Thompson Robinson fumbles the football and Utah takes it back for a touchdown and the pure uncut joy of the fat guy like that guy the guy who picked it up i think he was an offensive lineman or defensive lineman and he was just it was like a a three-year-old opening his presents on christmas he was so excited he's yelling and he's smiling he's tumbling ends up scoring the touchdown and the game was basically over from there max yeah and you're right like i think ucla was competitive at the beginning but then when dtr went full dtr it just totally unraveled from there because I, i don't think that ucla is a team that's built to come back from behind unless they're playing late Saturday night in Pullman. It's just (laughs) Dorian Thompson Robinson's not that consistent of a passer and their strength is it's their run game and, and it's, and their, their, uh, their defense isn't that great either. And their run game, what they need to do, which is kind of the antithesis of chip Kelly is just have these long clock eating drives led by Joshua Kelly and DTR and when DTR turns it over and you get a defensive touchdown and especially against a Utah defense that that's going to you know limit your scoring opportunities it just makes it really hard and makes the climb that much tougher I loved Tyler Huntley in this game 14 for 18, 335 yards, two touchdowns. Like he just like you've talked about this over and over and over again Rob, but just the big play uh the big play presence from an Andy Ludwig Ludwig offense just just continues to put up. He averaged 18.6 yards per throw. Uh, Zach Moss had himself another great game, 17 for 127 on the ground. He caught four passes for 73 yards. Like, my goodness, he had himself a heck of a game. Yeah, and I think the Zach Moss number is sort of telling because if Utah has had one thing that sort of in this this back half of the season after the USC game that you'd sort of point to, it was that first half of that Washington game where they didn't really control either line of scrimmage very well. Um, and in the second half, I, I still like they, they ran a bit towards the end, but after they had opened it up with the pass and I don't think their offensive line was sort of dominant, but the strength of this U, uh, UCLA defense was, you know, right up the gut and um, Zach Moss, you know, they didn't just slam him up the gut. They, they gave him some other types of runs too and other gaps, but he had a great game and, um, you know, he averaged 7.5 per carry against this defense. And that, that, that speaks a lot to where this Utah offensive line could be. Yep, Utah rolls. I, I don't know if there's anything else to say about this team. Like they're they're just good. Like the, the their defense is good. Their offense is good. Five sacks, ten tackles for a loss against UCLA. I mean, they just were able to get into the backfield. Uh, the, good tight end play. I mean, all around. Just a, this is exactly what you wanted to see. And I, there was again, there was that moment where UCLA was moving the ball, and then they had a chance to score a touchdown, and then missed. And then I think they missed the field goal, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe they just kicked. It. Anyway. Um, there was that moment where you're like, oh, this is going to be a good game. And then Utah just did, did you do like dirty, dirty, dirty Utah things to UCLA. Um, Max, anything else on this game? Uh, I just want to say thank you to Zach Moss for carrying my Pac-12 fantasy team. Yeah, oh, now, yeah I'm sure that's a hell of a pick there. Um, <laughs> I have Brandon Ayuk and he's done pretty well, but 
you know, but Zach Moss is, is the man. Um, yeah, but where, where, where in the play? Well, the playoffs are this week and I'm the one seed. Why? Well, yeah, that doesn't surprise me actually. <laughs> so well done there. Uh, let, yeah. Let's let's get to the previews here because uh, I know we're we probably have a few questions that people have submitted on Twitter. By the way, if you want to um, ask us questions, you can not only do it on Twitter at Twelve Pack Radio, but you can also email us. We have a, a email account. At, it's just Twelve Pack Radio at Gmail dot com. So take full advantage of that. We're happy to answer questions. And let's get to our sleazy bets and let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, we are back. Week 13. Only a couple weeks left, which is really, really sad. Um... I just college football is so fun. Obviously, we have all the bowls, and bowl season will be really fun. We'll have to do some stuff on this podcast dealing with the bowls. I think there's some really fun teams in the Pac-12, obviously, and there'll be some good matchups. But that is neither here nor there. We are in week 13, and let's start with let's give Utah. Now we just talked about Utah. Let, let's start with Oregon. Oregon, 14 and a half point favorite on the road in Tempe, facing the ASU Sun Devils. Max, that is a big number, but Oregon is playing well. Uh, I, uh, but, but on the road, that, that's, a, that's a lot of points to give up to a team that tends to slow the ball down. You know, I said at the beginning of the podcast that I feel like the regression hit, uh, at least with Pac-12 picks uh, this week, just because I, I purposely went in front of the Oregon and Utah freight trains. And you know what? I'm doing it again here. I'm with you. I think I think this is way I think this is way too many points. And this opened at 16, and it's down to 14 and a half. So at least that the early money is agreeing with me there. I just it's like I, I still think that Utah is a better team than Oregon, and I, I think that Arizona State like their their defense is is it's bad. It's really bad, but their offense is is good with Jaden Daniels. I don't know. I, I just think I think Herm keeps it close. I really do. Uh, Oregon's just good, Rob. Like that. That is a good quality team on defense and on offense. And I mean, at what point do we have to take a look at Oregon and say, like, look, this is like playing a, a an elite or a very, very high level SEC team. Um, you know, if if this was Auburn uh, or I'm trying to think of like the uh, the teams that are just below LSU yeah, or Alabama, um, if this was Georgia are they getting 14 and a half? Are they giving that to ASU? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Bader Inc. has this. It's the number nine Oregon Ducks against the number 54 Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh, Bader Inc.'s got it at 17 and a half uh, for Oregon on the road. Uh, I like the Ducks in this in this matchup. Um, you know, the, the Ducks on offense, they come in at number 10. Um, they get, you know, Arizona State's defense at number 49. Um, 
you know, the Ducks are very good throwing the football around number 17 on that. Uh, Arizona State's number 75 against the pass. Uh, that's not great. Um, and Oregon, I mean, they're number 40 running the football. Arizona State's number 28 there. So a little bit, uh, if you're an Arizona State fan, maybe you hope that they're going to run the football. But I feel like Oregon's learned their lesson a little bit um, coming in uh, as, this, as the season's gone on about throwing the football. Oregon's defense has rebounded. Um, they're number 10 in beta rank right now. Um, they get the number 79 offense, Arizona state's offense. It's, it's been plummeting a little bit as the season's gone on. Um, and they really, they're often, I mean, it's really the offensive line because the skill players are there. Um, so they're number one one in effective rush. Arizona state is, um, number 45 in effective pass. They get an Oregon defense. That's very good against the pass. Number 10 in effective pass. We saw that, uh, Thibodeau just keeps getting better week in, week out. Um, I think that some of what we saw this past week where uh, Arizona's offensive line struggled with this Oregon pass rush, um, in particular, the, the Oregon's coverage is good, too. I think you could see that again this week. I don't like that hook. But my question for you, Max, is because I, I think I'm going to take Oregon. I think I mean, Oregon has just continued to cover and take care of business. But 14 and a half is a lot. I, I guess the question for you would be, how many points does ASU score in this game? And, and this isn't a can they score. Like, they're going to score. <laughs> you know? like we always ask, can this team score? And they end up scoring anyway. Um, I think ASU, like like Rob mentioned, has the, the skill players to put up points. But do you think they score more than 17 to 21 against Oregon's offense? Yeah, no, I, I was going to say, like, I, I think that this is like, I have this as like a 31-21 type of game. Okay. Uh, so, so you're more trusting the ASU defense. Ah, I, I don't know. All right, I, I'm yeah. well, 31 is a good amount of points on the road. That is true. Um, I'll take, I'll take Oregon. Um, uh, I'm not betting on this game, but we shall, maybe, maybe this is one of the ways I, I, uh, sneak up on you. And I think we both went two and three, uh, last week against, uh, against the spread. So we are, uh, you're still a few picks above me. I'll, I'll take Oregon. Um, and we'll see what happens. Let's move to Utah. 22 and a half. Talk about road dogs. This is like road dog city here in the, in the beginning half of these games. Then it flips on the other side. Um, or I'm sorry, uh, road favorites. Utah is a 22 and a half point favorite on the road at Arizona. I, I think the wheels are, are off on this Arizona team. I, 22 is a lot of points, but I don't care. I actually really like Utah in this game. I, I'm, I'm curious what you think, Rob. Uh, Utah comes in at number five. Arizona's number 85 in this game. Um, Beta rank has it as a 31 and a half point. Favorite oh for this year. Um, and that is, that is what you start to expect. I mean, so as, as Utah and Oregon start to look like, uh, top teams, uh, what happens is, is the, the difference between the teams at the, like uh, at the top, like starts to get greater. Um, so it's, it's not sort of a linear change. Um, you know, like Ohio State would be, you know, almost like a, a 42 point favorite against Arizona. Um, and they're only a couple spots ahead of uh, Utah in the model. Um, I think the real thing here, the trouble is Arizona's offense comes in at 59. Um, they really fell off after their performance last week. Utah comes in at number three on defense um, and they really get after you with that pass rush. Um, Arizona's number 43 throwing the ball. Utah's number eight against the pass. Number two against the run, um, Arizona's only 69 running the ball. Uh, you flip it around and you think like, oh, well, you know, like what, what about Utah's offense? What's going to happen there? Um, this is, this is again, this, this Utah offense is very different. They're number, up to number eight in beta rank. Um, they get the number 100 defense. Um, Utah's number 16 running the ball. 
they're even better passing the ball uh, than they've been in the past. Like their, their numbers been creeping up there at number 36 and effective pass. Um, they get an Arizona defense that number is number one Oh five against the run number 79 against the pass. Uh, and there's a big special team teams disadvantage here uh, too. So uh, Oregon comes in at number 45 on special teams. Uh, Arizona comes in at, uh, or not Oregon, Utah comes in at number 45 on special teams. Uh, Arizona comes in at 110. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a tough game. I mean, if unless unless Arizona can somehow figure out punting punting the ball with abandon, um, they're going to be in a significant field position hole all game. Uh, and that offensive line, I just I don't see that holding against this huge rush. I think the scenario where Arizona covers is if Khalil Tate just keeps trying to run the ball. And, and the problem too, with this theory is that, you know, the front seven of Utah is quite good. Also uh, and Arizona's offensive line is terrible, but I think that might be the only way where Arizona puts up a ton of points here. But Max, I'm curious what, what you think. Do you think there's any chance that Arizona stays competitive with Utah enough to cover the spread? Well, I think it's, I, it, it's interesting that the line opened at 24 and now it's down to 22 and a half. So this yeah. game's taking Arizona money to me. I mean, Arizona's defense has allowed so many explosive plays this season, and Utah is the king of explosive plays under Andy Ludwig. <laughs> so I feel like if you're laying this type of points, you're going to want as many scoring opportunities as possible. So, you know, like a lot of quick strikes. And Utah, and Utah can certainly do that. I mean, not only do they have Huntley, who's, who's – I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he's been a top-five quarterback in the country this year with the amazing statistical profile he's compiled – then you also have Zach Moss, who I think is another. He's he's a top five running back in the country. So I have no idea how an Arizona defense that had to fire its defensive coordinator in the middle of the season how they're going to contain that. And then with all the issues that they've had on offense as well, it, it I'm with I'm with Beta Rank. This, this I mean this game would never make it to like 28, but I think Utah's going to absolutely wipe the floor with them. I guess the one thing to keep in mind, I'm wondering what you think about this, Max. You almost want to staple the under with if you're taking Utah, you're basically betting that Arizona scores like 14 points. And I don't know if Utah is going to drop a 50 burger on Arizona. Maybe they do. But um, so I'm curious, do you have the, the, the over under number on this one? Yes. Yeah, so it opened at 58 and a half and now it's 59. Oh, I kind of like that. I kind of like going the under and taking Utah. What, what do you think about that? I, I think Utah scores at least – yeah, Utah's going to score at least 40 points in this game. So if if you think that Arizona's going to score 14 or less, then it's probably worth a bet. Okay. Get one of those sleazy parleezies on mybookie.ag, you know. You play when you get paid. <laughs> um, anything else, Rob, on Utah-Arizona? No, no. I mean, it's this. This looks. This looks like a bloodbath. Uh, I mean, maybe it'll end up being close through some Khalil Tate miracle, but yeah, because you got the secondary and you got the rush defense. I just, yeah, okay, all right. Um, let's move on. Washington is an eleven point favorite on the rad, uh, on the road at Colorado. And Max, I never know what to do with Colorado anymore. I, I, I was able to cash a few tickets in the beginning of the year. And then basically I've been opposite on them and Arizona. Those are the two teams that have killed me uh, all year in regards to, to the losses that I've sustained. So uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to go on there with Mel Tucker and company? I mean, wa- wa- the only predictable thing about Washington is when they're at home and they have a double digit lead and you bet against them live. <laughs> on, the, on, the ro- on, on the road, it's a completely different story. Just because, I mean, they, they they blew out Arizona after struggling in the first half. 
they looked lethargic at in Palo Alto against Stanford. Um, Washington, but I think Washington is better than its record just because, I mean, with, with they should have won at least two of those games, uh, the double digit. Like you, you, you can't assume that a team is going to blow double digit leads at home like that. Uh, three times and I and Washington actually they they have a winning record against the spread too so I think that this is still a team that's a strong um and for me at least for next season they're probably going to be a strong bounce back team uh especially if Eason comes back the 14 and a half is tough though it's altitude and there might and it's back-to-back road games or well actually well actually no I'm kidding it because it's off a bye so that actually probably helps. Both teams, yeah. both of these teams had a yeah. bye last week. Okay. Ugh, I don't know. It's just that Colorado's defense, it's it's so putrid. And I think Washington's secondary can um, actually limit Colorado. I mean, Washington's run defense, that's been the area that's really been lit up. But I don't really trust Colorado's running backs. I just don't like laying 14 and a half with like a Washington team that's been so inconsistent, but I think that's what I'm going to end up doing. Well, to clarify, give me one moment here. Cause I had it at 11 today and I checked the lines about a, f- a few hours ago. Morgan, yeah, I see it. I see it as 14 and a half. Across oh, the board. 14 and a half. Oh my. Okay. Um, so, so you're laying those begrudgingly. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's, that's a lot, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I Colorado's, I don't know. I'd like, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to rely on Rob to to make my pick for me here. What, what, do you, what does Baderink say? <laughs> so Washington it comes in at Baderink at 21, um, and I think that's fair. S and P Plus has them at 12. I don't think they're the 12th best team in America. Um, Colorado, however, comes in at 91. They are the worst team in the Pac-12 right now. Um, so the Washington's offense, as more data has come in on this Washington offense, like they're really struggling. They're at 51. Some of that, some of this is, I mean, the the, the really putrid performance they had on the road last week. Um, they do get the number 99 defense with Colorado. And as we've talked about, I mean, everyone, I guess, except you could say Stanford um, has thrown on this Colorado defense. Um, Washington's number 55, an effective rush, number 47, an effective pass. Colorado still got that great number, that number 57 uh, against the run number for them versus 118 against the pass. Um, their trouble is, is most everyone sort of figured out to, to throw the ball against them. I do think that Washington has a little small special teams advantage here, 37 versus 48. Um, the other side of the ball, though, is tough because as more data has come in um, and as Washington's defense has matured a little bit, they are now number nine in beta rank. Um, and they get the number 82 Colorado offense. Washington's, you know, up to number 10 defending the run. And that was that was a big, big, big problem for them earlier in the season. But some of their defensive line guys have really started to come on. They're number 18 against the pass. I They get Colorado there. This Colorado offense is number 82. Um they get an, with an effective rush of 81. They're only 59 in effective pass. I mean, I don't even know what almost know what to say about this. It's so disappointing to have this much talent um, wasted, I guess, on this Colorado offense. But I, I like the Huskies um, in this game. I got thrown off because I thought the line was 11. <laughs> so 14 and a half. Um, 
I don't know. I feel like Colorado plays better at home. I, I understand all the matchups, um, but I, I'm not a big fan of Washington's offense. I understand they're going against a bad defense. I'll, I'll, I'll take the points and see what, uh, what Montez and company can do in their last ride, uh, headed into the, the final portion of the season here. So uh, I'll take the points. So, what were you, what were you going to do here, Rob? I'll take the Huskies here. Okay. Anything else you got on that, Max? No, I mean, it's just, uh, I hate these big spreads and it's, it's not, and especially like coming off the week that I did, I'm, I'm feeling nervous. <laughs> it's the, it is the week of big spreads in like all of college football. Like there are a bunch of unbalanced matchups this week. <laughs> well, here's another one. UCLA is a 13 and a half point underdog on the road at USC. And uh, I know USC has performed fairly well, a little bit better than we thought. They have not melted away. Uh, but in a rivalry game, uh, I think that's a lot, Max. It's definitely a lot. But the, the thing that I keep coming back to is that UCLA's secondary is such a dumpster fire. And USC is not going to be running the ball that often against UCLA's run defense. Uh, and USC's wide receivers against UCLA's secondary is just such an unbelievable mismatch. No, that, those are both really good points. How is uh, how's the health on USC's defense, and how has that defense been uh, kind of pulling itself together the last couple of games? Well, I, I think the Cal game kind of misleading, um, just because I mean it's it's monster, and I feel like the only good game that monster had was against Wazoo, and then other than that, it, it's been really ugly. Um, and then the Arizona State game. I mean, Yellen missed some throws, but he still had he still had over 300 yards and four touchdowns. But that was just because I mean, Arizona State was basically forced to throw for the entire game when they were down uh, 28-7 in the first quarter. Revenge game coming off of yeah, man. The more actually, I was totally going to take UCLA. And the more <laughs> the more I'm talking, the more I'm talking myself into taking USC. What did the numbers say, Rob? So Baderink has this. Um, USC has been sort of hovering in this range right around 30. They're number 27 in Baderink. UCLA is number 66. At the Coliseum, Baderink has it at 13 and a half. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. It's a good line. The the But Max is right. I mean, the UC, USC's offense comes in at number 18. They get uh, UCLA's number 67 defense. Um, but these this matchup is not good at all. So USC is 103 in effective rush, number eight in effective pass. Uh, UCLA, however, is number 37 in effective rush, number 99 in effective pass. You just you really like uh, you know if USC could go out and torch Cal, um, they should absolutely be able to do it against UCLA. The other side of the ball, um, USC's they're they're not great on defense. Um, they've had the injuries. They're young. Um, they're number 48 on beta rank in beta rank there. UCLA's offense is not particularly good. They're number 70 they, and it's, they're both fairly balanced. You you see yeah, USC's defense is number 68 against the run 40 against the pass. Um, UCLA, however, 60 running the ball, 66 passing the ball. Um, not, it doesn't particularly stand out with just about anything that they're doing. And um, I do think that, a lot of the a lot of the UCLA chatter mostly came from like oh they're figuring out like the schedule just really lightened up for them and then I I do think that that this game uh, in particular could it could be a bit more like the the, the I don't think they're going to get blown out like they did by Utah but I think that they are going to have um, 
a little trouble with this game. It's the same thing we heard last uh, <laughs> last year, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was tinkering around at the beginning of the year. Like, you tinker around in practice. You don't tinker around while you're losing six games in a row. <laughs> and, oh, he's finally figured it out, you know, once they had the bad teams. And it seems like the, it was the same argument this year. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not a believer in UCLA. Um, I will I will gladly give those points and uh, and take SC. Um, did you make a pick, Max? Uh, it, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of points for a rivalry game, but yeah, I can't. And, and, you know, I mean, this line opened at 10 and now it's at 13 and a half. There are even a couple 14s out there. Oh man. Oh my. <laughs> oh boy. You know what? It is tough because the, even that 13 and a half number, I mean, it's, it's two full touchdowns. I mean, anything above 10, you know, kind of in a rivalry game kind of makes you pause, but. Yeah. And I, and I mean, USC, like it was different. And I mean, I was, I was fading USC when they were less than a touchdown favorite over Arizona state and, um, and Cal. And now they're, now they're close to two touchdowns. This is a tough game. Uh, you know what? Yeah. Let's screw it. USC minus 13 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Get on that train, man. You gotta, gotta back that alma mater. <laughs> um, covering, covering Clay Helton one final time. <laughs> Um, also, one one interesting scheduling. This is USC's final game of the season. Or yeah, regular. they're done. Yeah. Oh, so, out with a bang. You could have a coaching this. search to cover next week. <laughs> oh my gosh, that'll be great. I love that. Um, hey, let's move on to Oregon State. Another five, another big spread here. Fifteen and a half point dog on the road. No. At was. It's, no? it's gone down. It's 11 and a half. It opened at 15 and a half. Oh, I should have jumped on that. That's that's the problem. You should have jumped on that because Baderink has it at eight and a half. Uh, uh, I, I, because that's what I still like it at 11 and a half. <laughs> they might win outright, right, Max? I, I wouldn't go that far, but I think that this is a one score game. Yeah, I like Oregon State, though. I, I, I They're going to be able to score. They're going to be able. I think they'll probably even be able to run the ball against Wazoo. Um, they'll definitely be able to get to get points up. And uh, the one thing that we always mention every time on this podcast, Max, is whether or not Oregon State's defense is going to be able to do enough to keep them in the game. And um, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but uh, 11 points is still still enough to, to give me some more cushion. What do you think about that Wazoo defense? Uh, or I'm sorry, what do you think about that Oregon State defense against uh, Anthony Gordon and company? Well, I mean, Oregon State's defense, it's still bad, but at least like what we've been harping on this podcast all season is that the Beavers can force negative plays still. Um, they, they generate a lot of tackles for loss. Uh, they have, I, and I, I believe they have the conference uh, leader in sacks in uh, Rashad Jr. I mean, he, yeah, he has 14 sacks. So, I mean, but the thing about Washington State is that they neutralize opposing pass rushers usually really well, just because they have all these quick routes and the offensive line is so good at pass protection. But yeah, I mean, Washington State, I think just fortunate to win the Stanford game by twenty-seven, and I mean, they they still gave up five hundred yards to Davis Mills, and how are they going to cover Isaiah Hodgkins and and you know, Jamar Jefferson and Artavis Pier- and it's just, it's a lot of pieces. And I think this is going to be a shootout. There's a reason why this total is at 76 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, I know these defenses are stopping each other. 
Uh, well, <laughs> so you mentioned that Baderank had the spread at eight and a half ish, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. So this matchup is interesting because Washington state comes in at 36, Oregon state comes in at 62. Uh, it is up in the Palouse. Um, so Washington state's offense comes in at seven, Oregon state's at one of six. Um, it, you're, you're right, Max, if, if Oregon state can cause, um, some negative plays in there, like that'll really help. Um, but Gordon, Gordon's been able to sit back there for the most part this season and pick people off. I mean, Washington state's number three in explosive drives. Um, Washington state's number one, throwing the ball, number one twenty nine running the ball. Um, Oregon State, 100 against the rush, 103 against the pass. Um, Washington State has uh, very good special teams this year under Mike Leach. They're number 13. Um, Oregon State's at number 62, so do keep an eye out for hidden yards in this game. Um, I mean, if anyone punts, that is. (laughs) Um, The flip side of this, Oregon State's offense comes in at number 29, uh, they get the number 107 defense and where Oregon State has struggled, I think, uh, offensively this season is usually when they when there is a big talent discrepancy. So Utah was able to shut them down. Washington was able to shut them down. Washington State probably is not going to be able to shut them down. Um, so Washington State, they are number 77 against the run, a little bit of an advantage. I mean, versus their number 119 pass defense. But Oregon State. 45 uh, running the ball, 26 um, throwing the ball. Uh, you really like Luton to get out there and have a good game because they 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 lit up, um, you know, for the number of drives they had and the number of attempts they had. They really lit up that bad ASU secondary, too. I, oh, yeah. That, so a question for you, Max. How many total yards does Max Borgie have in this game? Uh, I'll set the over under. I'll go 165 and a half. That's probably pretty close. That's around what I had. What, what do you think, uh, Rob? Is that you expecting that type of game here out of his, his all-purpose yards? Yeah, yeah, I mean he he's gonna he's gonna catch a lot of balls in this game, um, and I th- I think he's he's definitely somebody that if Oregon State is re- you know resorting to sending extra extra blockers, um, having him release out for for quick throws and screens is gonna be really dangerous. Okay, now guys, I am not a Pac-12 historian. But is this the saddest big game that you've ever seen? Cal plus three at Stanford? Oh, like, is this God. the lowest point? I mean, I know that there's been a bad Stanford team and a bad Cal team, but at the same time, two programs that are just diving towards the bottom. Do we have Stanford's favorite? This game. <laughs> we can throw it out. <laughs> Wait, Stanford's favorite in this game? Oh, Cal. Yeah. Cal uh, yeah. No, yeah. Stanford's favorite by a field goal. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean,. Did you watch what happened with uh, Devon Monster? I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, but I also, I mean, <laughs> Stanford like, lost. I've also, seen St- I've also seen Stanford play Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you can only put up 13 points against Colorado, you're going to score negative three against Cal. These teams are so stupid. I'm so glad there's no fan bases here to, like, get mad at us for talking about how dumb these teams are. Um, I, I mean, yes, like all of this is dumb. Like, I mean, do you I mean, what is what is Stanford good at throwing the ball? What I mean, other than last week, what is Cal good at pass defense? Like uh, this is going to be one of those 35 carry Cameron Scarlet games for 105 yards. <laughs> it gets like three yards of carry. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, like Dave, like it's it's almost like that's almost like parking the bus in soccer. You're just like, well, we're just gonna we're just gonna burn the all the clock we can. Oh my gosh, um, I don't do it. Like Max, what, what do you what do you want from me out well, of this game? <laughs> as, if 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 I don't have, I mean, like. This game for me, it's impossible. So I'm, I'm, I'm just taking the points. It's a field goal. I'm fine with it. Okay, uh, Rob, you don't have to go into all the stats here if you don't I'll want to. I'll try to only hit the hit the hit the hit the highlights. So Baderink has this uh, as Cal as a four point favorite in this game. Oh, um, and most of that is, of course, built off of Cal's defense. Um, it's the 98 offense Cal's offense against the 87 defense from Stanford. Um, Stanford's not, I mean, Cal is not great doing anything on offense, but, um, Stanford's not great. Um, in rush defense, they're number 78, uh, versus number 90 against the pass. You know, I don't know if a D, I mean, do we know if a Debo is going to be back for this game? Um, no, no clue. Uh, Honestly, he might. He might shut it down. Just why risk it for the pros? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. I mean, I think the interesting matchup here is, I mean, because I don't, I don't know necessarily that Cal's, you know, offense is going to put up points, but um, their defense is ranked number thirty. Stanford's offense is ranked eighty. Cal comes in even after last week getting torched by USC. They're number seventeen against the pass. Um, Stanford's only 37, you know, throwing the ball around. That's a far cry from where USC was. Um, I I don't know. I just I think Stanford's going to struggle in this game. I actually expect them to, to turn the ball over. I think if there was one person who I trust in this game, it's Evan Weaver. So I'm with Max. And you said what did uh, what did Beta Rank have the number at? Four. And who is favorite Stanford? Cal. Okay. Um, I mean, it's like, who do you, who do you want to, who, who would you, who there's, there's no, there's no good play here. Like, it's just like, uh, um, I mean, I think the danger here is that the, this game is likely to be low scoring enough that like one possession is, is might be a touchdown. Um, yeah, I'll take the points. Why not? Um, plus beta rank, by the way, has been excellent at picking the dogs. Like really, really good at that. When the wrong team is favored at beta rank, like I think the record is sixty-five ish percent. Like uh, that's that's pretty darn impressive. So okay, I'll go with the numbers. And Max, you're giving the points. Rob, are you are you doing the same? Give me the bears, baby. Okay. Um, so I got invited onto our friends at the Utah Man podcast. So we do want to talk basketball, but let's wrap this podcast up so I can do that show because all those Utah fans are like the best fans we have. <laughs> So, uh, and I will give, I will gladly give them a foot massage on the Utah man podcast because they deserve it this year. Uh, it's a good team. Um, feel free to tune in. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 pack radio. You can subscribe for free. Again, if you like the show, please share it. Uh, Max, where can the fine people follow you? I know you're doing some college basketball stuff now. Yeah. So, uh, Twitter at the Max Meyer. And if you go to the SI gambling, uh, we actually have three man weave, uh, aboard, uh, for two, uh, columns a week for their best bets. So usually they write two and I do one. And tomorrow uh, we're going to have a best bets column. And I guess if you want a sneak peek of what my pick is going to be, I'll, I'll happily share it on the podcast. It's going to be Nichols State plus 14 and a half at Rhode Island. You're a good American, Max. <laughs> Nichols State, that's great. I love I love when people know the, the small conferences, though. No, well, I mean – 
Uh, to to be on it, like uh, so Nichols, they've played three like legitimately tough teams. So they took Illinois into overtime. They beat Pitt at Pitt, and they lost to LSU by ten. And then Three Man Weave had their coach on uh, on their podcast last week, and he's actually the youngest coach in the country. I actually think I think he just turned thirty uh, a couple days ago. But for but for a, a bad team. They're actually very strong in a couple metrics, like they're fifth in the country at forcing turnovers. They're a top 30 three-point shooting team, and that's not necessarily just small sample size because they were actually a really strong uh, three-point shooting team last year. Uh, they're really strong at shooting free throws as well. It's like you're surprised that even even a team that might like is still rated like 250th in, in Kempom they they're elite in in some metrics and especially with forcing turnovers if you can limit one team's possessions that goes a long way if you're a double digit underdog yeah well there you go and rob i know you got a ton of stuff going on at sharp college football what's what's uh what's up right now so today um in in celebration of a really crappy slate of games this week i tweeted out some previews of the likely conference championship games but as we get into um, bowl season, you think about what those potential matchups might be. I recommend going to the arching comparison tool and getting a look at potential opponents. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Good follow on Twitter, by the way, at Sharp College Football. Uh, right? Just it's just at Sharp College Football. Yep, just at, at uh, Sharp CFB. And you and where where you you tweet out a bunch of good stuff too? Where are you at? I'm at a, a Beta Rank FB. Okay. All right. Well, thanks guys for coming on. Thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next week.